0: Hey, everyone, it's Pacific. Just a few quick things to talk about, and then this week's episode. Also, a quick reminder, next week, October 27th, is our season finale. Uh, So after this episode comes out, that Thursday, October 29th, you can expect another uh, spotlight. And then we are off air until next year. Uh, We will be back with a season three probably in February, March-ish, usually when we start up the show again. Uh, and in the meantime, we will be uploading weekly episodes to our Patreon. And of course, this winter, coming right around Christmas, SCP 1730, What Happened to Site 13. It's a super huge project, as I promised, we've begun working on it. And the scripts are going out later this week. So we're going to begin production in earnest and have that for you like I said, right around Christmas. Uh, More details as that gets a little closer, too. Second, the Audioverse Awards are now live, and you can vote for uh, a bunch of awesome podcasts, one of which is us. Uh, Tom Rory Parsons, our composer, he makes an original score each week for our episodes, um, and uh, he is incredible at his job, and he's been nominated. I love working with Tom. He is such an incredible composer, and... I'd love to help him win this award. So, if you want to support SCP Archives and all the other amazing audio dramas that you listen to, head to the audioverseawards.com and vote. Also, 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 this Saturday, October 24th, uh, I sat down with Candace Nola and did a short little interview for their website, uncomfortablydark.com. It's 13 questions for 13 different podcasters and authors about what terrifies them the most. Uh, It was super-duper fun to talk, and uh, I hope you guys will give it a read. There's a link for that interview in the show notes as well. Um, My interview comes out on Saturday, but there's already a bunch of other interviews. So check it out now. Uh, Get introduced to some new authors and podcasters. Uh, It's super cool, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. And finally, uh, a while ago, I announced that um, some of our higher-tier patrons could get their names in episodes as characters and uh, die in strange and horrific ways. We had our first few patrons appear in last week's episode, but I forgot to announce it. So, this week, I want to make sure you guys all know that uh, we've named a few different characters after our patrons, such as Daphne Dawson, Alexander Guerrero, Amara Alicia Ahmed... Felipe Cortez, Sam Orovec, and Skip Gubler. So keep an ear out. You'll hear those names pop up later in this episode. And of course, a huge shout out to this week's patrons. Joining us, we have Enzo Zeppe, Olo Shadow, Potato Nation, Scott Riot, Jared, Cousin of the Goblin King, Shadow Wolf, Crimson Cupcake. David LaRoche, Aaron Mitchell, and Black Magic Moogle. Thanks so much, guys, you keep the show running. Without further ado, this week's episode.
1: Warning.
2: The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions,
0: and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. Item
2: number
1: 4935, Containment Class Euclid. Special Containment Procedures. The access point to SCP-4935 is to be sealed and guarded when not in use. Access to SCP-4935 is forbidden unless authorized. Authorization is to be given only by Site-77 Director of Containment and only for the purpose of continued research into the nature of SCP-4935. Description SCP-4935 is the group designation for two phenomena. The first, identified as SCP-4935-Alpha, is a temporal anomaly existing within the Sankuru Nature Preserve in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The anomaly can be identified visually, as light further away from the anomaly appears to redshift as the observer draws closer to it. Inversely, the anomaly in the area directly around it appear blueshifted to outside observers, who will see anything approaching the anomaly appear to blueshift towards an indeterminate point in the center of the anomaly and disappear. The same is true in reverse for anything exiting the anomaly, as returning subjects will appear redshifted until they match pace with the standard flow of space-time. SCP-4935-Alpha-Prime, hereafter identified simply as SCP-4935, is the point in time beyond the SCP-4935-Alpha anomaly. Analysis of the stars visible in the sky within SCP-4935 has determined that SCP-4935 is the planet Earth roughly 130,000 years in the future from the present day. Due to changes in the planet's atmospheric composition, the air within SCP-4935 contains significantly more oxygen than present day, leading to an abundance of megaflora. The area directly around SCP-4935-alpha within SCP-4935 is a grove of trees, many of which are in excess of 200 meters in height. SCP-4935 is seemingly devoid of intelligent life, with two significant exceptions. The first is a race of secretive and highly advanced pseudo-humanoid entities who self-identify, phonetically, as the ACOT. These entities inhabit the dark, canopied forest of the planet in small numbers, often in underground vaults or other similarly protected structures. They appear generally similar to modern humans with elongated skulls, larger, deep-set eyes, reduced mouths and noses, less robust chests and abdomens, and longer, leaner arms and legs. The ACOT describe themselves as protectors and guardians of a massive, levitating black cube situated above a similarly massive machine complex near the center of the African continent. This cube, composed primarily of silica and carbon with trace organic compounds throughout, is called the Hereafter and is a site of significant religious importance to the ACOT. According to the ACOT, the Hereafter was constructed as resting place for some 93 billion persons who lived on the earth at the time of its construction, all of whom had lost the biological ability to die. As time passed and the age of these peoples grew unceasingly long, several major wars broke out and the species, as a whole, descended into madness. The Hereafter was designed as a way for the peoples of the earth to enter a suspended state until such time that the ability to die could be restored to the species. The ACOT were those entrusted to maintain the hereafter and continue researching the nature of the biological alteration the planet had experienced. This event was likely a hypothesized Omega K class end of death scenario, though the biological triggers for such an event are still unknown. The ACOT universally suffer from a debilitating genetic disorder that causes their bodies to deteriorate over time. To offset this, these entities often augment their bodies with technology designed to enhance their reduced functions. However, the most significant consequence of the genetic disorder is that the ACOT have a tenuous connection to three-dimensional space. Due to an event sometime in their past, the ACOT exist within two spatial dimensions simultaneously. Through the use of highly advanced technology, they have been able to anchor themselves in the baseline dimension, though the condition still puts a considerable strain on their bodies and they are still subject to violent and painful dimensional shifts if the anchors fail. The ACOT call this alternate dimension the High Horror, and discussion of the dimension is strictly taboo. The second exception is a massive Scorpioid entity, SCP-4935-Beta, that is currently intertwined with and attempting to pierce the exterior of the hereafter. SCP-4935-Beta, which is biological in nature, is called the Corpse Father by the ACOT, and has been on the planet for roughly 600 years. The origin of this entity is unknown. This entity is capable of spawning larval incarnations of itself through its chitinous flesh in large swarms. These larval entities are aggressive and dangerous in large numbers, but have short lifespans. The ACOT have claimed that SCP-4935-Alpha exists due to a series of experiments testing machines designed to collapse the linear flow of time in a controlled area, as they as a species no longer have the physical capability or technological advantage needed to combat the SCP-4935-Beta entity. To date, it is believed that these experiments have been unsuccessful. Note, see Addendum 4935.6 for more information. Addendum 4935.1, Dr. Moniker's Memo. Memorandum on SCP-4935.
3: We established contact with the humanoid entities within the anomaly last Thursday at approximately 0725 hours local time they are an incredibly secretive people, as their entire culture is seemingly built around their staying out of sight. During our initial exchange, a handful of them, who we were not interacting with, stood absolutely unmoving around us, to the point where you could miss them if you weren't actively trying to remember they were still there. It's an incredibly bizarre feeling. Language ended up not being the issue we thought it might. The world they inhabit is well over 100,000 years into the future of ours, and while they have evolved past the point of needing verbal languages, they have seemingly held on to the technology required to reproduce verbal speech, in case they needed to interact with any of the people inside the cube. It doesn't reproduce English or Spanish, but some kind of delta wave that produces a verbal response in the language the listener is most familiar with. They've given us a handful of these units for study. I can't begin to imagine how useful this might be to us if we can reverse-engineer these. They have a name for themselves, but for some reason it doesn't translate properly. The word we're using is akot, since that's the nearest phonetic we can make any sense of. They say it means gravedigger, but there's such a heavy spiritual emphasis on the word that it ends up not meaning anything to us without context. Their language is like that. They can communicate with us since we have adjacent, if frighteningly underadvanced, neurological physiology. But a lot of what they say is based in this deep-seated mysticism that is meaningless to us when translated. We're getting better at communicating, but a true understanding of their culture is going to require that we bridge the gap at some point however i'm getting ahead of myself the cube they call it the hereafter and it holds a deep religious significance for them most of what they know about it has been passed down through legend but i think we've gotten the gist of it at some point in their distant past potentially more than hundred thousand years which puts that date dangerously close to the modern Humans as a species suddenly lost the ability to die, biologically. The ACOT calls these people the Forerunners. Human beings who gained immortality and had their society radically changed. Many of the great cities on their planet were built in the next 500 years or so. Though all of these are little more than ruins on their planet now. The ACOT also talk about Voyagers who set sail for the stars with their newfound immortality though little else is said about them. Since people could no longer die, the population began to boom out of control. They were able to control this somehow early on, but after a certain point, the birth rate was unsustainable. Resources grew incredibly scarce, and people began to starve. They still couldn't die though, so it seems like they just suffered for what was essentially the next thousand years. More left the planet, but eventually they ran out of material to build rockets with. Their technology had improved dramatically, but these struggles suffocated them. Their society began to collapse, and resource wars broke out. These were made worse by the fact that there were never any deaths in these wars, just more and more mangled bodies with consciousness attached to them. They eventually realized that blowing someone up wouldn't kill them either just scatter their consciousness into some sort of disorganized hell. A fate they considered to be the ultimate anguish. This was about the time the ACOT were created, by the way. Dr. Flavius is filing his report next, and it should contain more information about that. Needless to say, they were also looking for a way to die. But their experiments backfired in a pretty significant way. Regardless, after the wars had crippled the population the world sort of went silent for a while. The ACOT Archivists I spoke to said that they have better records of the medieval Dark Ages than they do for this period. If it wasn't for the timekeeping devices that kept moving, it would have been like that time had never happened at all. They also don't have much on record about who built the cube, or where it came from, though it's definitely extraterrestrial. There was a group of thirteen people who offered to the world and escape from their lives through sleep. The cube would feed them and clean them and keep them sleeping. If somewhere down the road they were able to die again, the cube would kill them. The only ones who weren't invited into the cube were the first Akot, who were too fragile to enter the cube and had already been ostracized by society for what they had done. They were left to clean up the world and watch over the cube a task that generations of ACOT have been doing for more than 100,000 years. Let me be clear about something, in case you end up interacting with any of these entities. They are remarkably old. They also can't die, so they essentially just stay alive until their bodies become so ravaged by the dimensional shifting that they collapse and can't keep going. These are still conscious entities, mind you but they just don't function any longer. They reproduce only enough to keep a sustainable population active. But some of the oldest members of their society are in excess of 20,000 years old. They perceive time differently, and speaking to them is difficult. Most of the interpreters we spoke to were only a few hundred or thousand years old. Either way, they've continued on like that for a long, long time.
1: That is, until the Corpse Father appeared. Addendum 4935.2 Transcript of Exploration Attempt EX.4935.03 Note: The following exploration attempt was conducted shortly after contact with the ACOT people when the nature of the machine named the Hereafter by the ACOT was determined. Conducting this exploration was Mobile Task Force Epsilon 45, Base Jumpers. The following agents were assigned to this attempt. E-45, Alexander Guerrero, team lead, fire support. E-45, Sam Oravak fire support. E-45, Amar Ahmed, fire support. E-45, Felipe Cortez, logistics supporter. E-45, Skip Gubler, communications.
4: Let's get mics hot. Everyone plugged in? I'm on. Check. Mic check. How do we sound, Coop? Everyone is green. We're good to go. Alright. For the record, we're on the complex beneath the main cuboid construct. The locals call it the Ark. We just need to get in, scout it out, grab some samples, and so on. The usual. Yep, the usual. Stay close. And let's try to get out of here in one piece, eh?
1: Team moves down a hill and leaves the nearby forest. In front of them is the construct beneath the hereafter, a mechanical superstructure the size of a small city. Long metal extensions rise up towards the cube above. There are no signs of life.
4: Fuck me, that thing is big. That it is. They're already planning on trying to get teams up there to look at it a little closer, too.
1: In the distance, something heavy falls from the sky from beneath the cube and lands somewhere in the superstructure below.
4: What was that? We can't, uh... We can't see it from here, but there's this big ugly thing on the other side of the cube. Some kind of huge scorpion. It's trying to get into the cube. Has been for a few hundred years apparently. We'll try and stay on this side of the arc to avoid any of the falling debris.
1: Team approaches the superstructure. A tall perimeter of metal pylons extends around the exterior of the structure.
2: Alright. Let's see what the mole-rat tech can do.
1: E-45 Felipe Cortez plants a canister on the ground which fires a harpoon into the air. The harpoon plants onto the ground on the other side of the barrier. The E-45 team members attached motorized harnesses to the cable which pull them up towards the top of the barrier. Once there, they climb to the other side and slide down using the harnesses.
2: Those are pretty great. Yeah, I've been pretty impressed. Since they started phasing out the rats as a task force, all of this great gear is suddenly appearing, free to use. It's wild.
4: Alright, let's take a look here. We're at the southeastern edge, so there's a structure about 300 meters from us that looks promising. Let's head that way.
1: Team proceeds towards tallest nearby structure.
4: We're actually lucky this thing is as old as it is. They were still putting doors on buildings back then. Anymore, these guys can just sort of pass through walls now. But they're really immateri-
1: listen. Inside the structure there is the distinct sound of metal striking metal. The sound is periodic and is not loud.
4: Hey, are we expecting to run into anyone in here? No, let's get that door open.
1: Team removes corrosion on a nearby door to access the structure. Once removed, the door falls to the ground with a loud crash.
4: They heard that.
1: The sound is gone.
4: Let's get inside.
1: Come on. Team enters the structure. Within it is a series of tall open areas, likely ventilation towers. They have no visible bottom. Running across them is a narrow elevated walkway suspended from rigging attached to the walls.
4: What was this built for? It's a doomsday machine. It was made to kill them, but it didn't work. They got all kinds of theories about why. The most prevalent is that they just weren't smart enough to understand the original creator's intention. Or something. It's a big deal to them. Sort of a point of both pride and shame. It's eerie.
3: Hey, listen. That
5: sound is back.
1: The metal tapping sound has returned and is close enough now to be heard easily.
2: There. Look. On the walkway.
1: The team shines a light down the walkway. Roughly twenty meters away, a humanoid figure is visible, half protruding from a nearby wall. One of the figure's hands is extended, grasping around a short piece of metal tubing. This figure is slowly tapping the tubing against the wall. Hello? Who's there? The figure ceases movement. A single, extant eye opens, the other being part of the wall. The eye is milky white. As the team approaches, it becomes clear that the figure is an ACOT, though time appears to have grossly altered its features. Can you hear us? The figure's voice is barely audible.
0: A dream, a dream, another dream. Can you hear us? Who
4: dreams like this? My name is Captain Alexander Guerrero. We're a group of explorers. Can you understand us? You... You are real... You can see me, and you hear my voice.
0: You are not of my people. I cannot see
4: you, but I feel you. Who are you? We're travelers. We've come from far away. We're exploring this area. What is this place? Do you... Can you kill me? Excuse me? Please. Do you have the
0: means? Have you come to kill me? When my body began to fail me, I fell into the horror. I was not brave like Geryon. Geryon resides now in hell, but I was afraid. I came here, into the machine, to sustain me, but it is worse. The loneliness, the darkness. I am alone. I am alone. Can
4: you kill me? We can't, I'm sorry. We're just exploring. Can you tell us about this place? Uh, I had thought, maybe, after all this time we would have learned.
0: I am called Husin. Have you heard my name? Do they still speak it? No. No. It has been 6,000 years since I came here. There will be none who remember me now. Where are we? This was our last bastion. We came here, noble Elysius and his company, to stand opposed against the Master of Corpses. There were many of us, but they have been scattered into the darkness. I was afraid...
4: I came here to hunt. I came here and hid to wait. Six thousand years? We were told the creature came here six hundred years ago. Who told you this?
0: The craven king, Berlan? He has no doubt passed into the shadow as well. They lie to you. They lie.
6: I have seen it. I was there on the day
0: that the seas opened up and it crawled out of the depths. Six thousand years, I know it. I was there. Why would they lie? What have they asked you? To protect them? To give them aid? There is no aid. The corpse father is inevitable. Geryon has abandoned us. What remains, who is left? Perhaps in their arrogance, they believed that you would be fooled into thinking they had not exhausted all of their options. What do you mean? They will act in desperation now. I know it. I have dreamed of it for so many years. A day when they would expand their last efforts, and we might be saved, in one way or another. I want to die. I want to die. Why can't I die? Why has this simple mercy
4: eluded us? This machine. Does it have a control area? How's it operated? The center, Geryon's
0: Ark, it is there, but the Ark cannot be tasked any longer. It has expended itself. There is no more use for it. There is no salvation here.
4: I understand. Let's move forward. No, please, no. Do not leave, please.
0: It has been so long. Here in the darkness, they have forgotten me. They have left me to rot here forever. Please, the corpse father might pass over me. And then I will be here alone until the stars go out. How many years? Millions? Billions? I cannot, I cannot do it. Please. The team moves away Please. from the ACOT.
1: The figure continues to plead until the team is further down the walkway. After a short time the figure ceases to vocalize and the metal tapping continues. The team continues through the inner workings of the machine for some time, pausing occasionally to check telemetry or take samples. The machine is very complex but entirely inert. No sound except for the team is audible. Extraneous dialogue is omitted from these logs. Eventually the team reaches a series of illuminated hallways. They follow the hallways towards a central area. The hallway eventually exits into a large, circular expanse. In the center of the expanse is an illuminated pillar of coiled steel tubing stretching up several hundred meters. At the top of the pillar is a dull blue ring of metal, occasionally pulsing with a dim light. Far above the top of this pillar is the bottommost corner of the black cube above.
4: This is probably what he was talking about, eh? The poor son of a bitch in the wall? What do you reckon that thing is? Good
1: question. The team advances towards the structure. Suddenly, a figure appears in front of them. The figure is a young boy, distinctly human, with a noticeably different physiology than modern humans. Sensors attached to E-45 Skip Googler's equipment identifies that this figure is immaterial, likely a projection of light or other similar holographic image.
2: Jesus! Greetings, travelers. My name is Geryon, engineer of the Forsaken Peoples of this world. You have arrived at our final resting place. We were cursed by an uncaring creator with a tormented existence that would not end. But by the grace of this machine, we were delivered unto restful death. Tread lightly on these hollow grounds. Think it can hear us? Of course. This database was created to answer and respond to the inquiries of all who may come across our burial place.
4: What was this machine designed to do?
2: Long before I was born, my species collectively decided that we would prefer death over the continued torment of an existence without end. We tried, and failed, to reach that end by any means. This machine is the culmination of our efforts. A device that, when activated, will rend our souls from our bodies and sever the threads that can be said to be keeping us alive.
4: How is this machine powered?
2: That information has been expunged from this database.
4: When was this device
2: activated? The device has not been activated.
4: How does this device determine if it was
2: activated? There are still living human beings on this planet. Due to this, it is impossible that this device has been activated.
4: How was this machine created?
2: That information has been expunged from this database. How
4: did Geryon know how to create this machine?
2: Geryon was the product of the greatest minds of several generations. His birth was conceived by the most advanced sciences of the day, and the simulation of his mind followed. When he awoke into being, he was given access to the greatest compendium of knowledge this world had to offer. Where did
4: he get that knowledge?
2: The SCP Foundation had collected a massive archive of- I'm sorry. It appears any additional information has been expunged.
4: Now, that's something. One more thing. Can this machine be activated?
2: The arc is no longer functional to its intended purpose in its current state. It has been modified by a third party to perform a different task.
4: What task is that?
2: I'm sorry, that information is not available.
1: Team continues to explore for a short time afterwards, but no additional information of note is recovered. Team is extracted in full after a short stay within the anomaly. After extraction, the exploration team noticed a dilation in their experience time and the time experienced on Earth. The discrepancy led to a larger investigation into the flow of time in the area surrounding the anomaly. This investigation determined that there was a slight dilation in the area directly surrounding the anomaly. Testing indicates three to four minutes are lost, but it is unknown how or why this occurs. This investigation is ongoing. Hey, everyone. It's Pacific here with a short ad break.
0: And now, back to the show.
1: Addendum 4935.3 Excerpt from Dr. Flavius's report, SCP-4935, the ACOT people. SCP-4935,
3: the ACOT people. The ACOT trace common ancestry to human beings, though the exact date is difficult to determine. The commonly held belief is that the ACOT as a species emerged shortly before the long dark. As part of an experiment designed to help them achieve death, the early ACOT believed that the soul was separate from the body, and that the instant transmission of the soul to a higher plane of existence, similar to their deeply held religious beliefs involving death, would terminate their consciousness and allow for a way to bypass death. The machine they built to accomplish this still exists. It lays dormant now, beneath the hereafter, at what we would consider Ele Mbema. In near modern-day Brazzaville. It is the resting place for those Akot whose bodies have abandoned them and now live quiet, unmoving, undying lives. Interestingly enough, the Akot acknowledged that they named themselves after their ancestors, having to bury their living dead in the mausoleum of the Great Machine. Whether or not this attempt would have been successful is irrelevant. A chief scientist at the time made a critical miscalculation, and instead of separating the souls of his people from their bodies, and sending them away to pseudo-death. The machine tore the ACOT, body and mind, from this dimension, and sent them to a place they call the High Horror. Then, instead of bringing them back, the machine left them to dance on the edge of a wire separating the two realities, so they are never truly comfortable in one or the other. They would later build machines to help offset this, but they are a meager comfort. The ACOT are perpetually tormented between the darkness of their homeworld and the nightmares of another. The ACOC continue to believe, even after so many years, that technology will save them. They have built incredible machines that allow them to move silently, unseen through the world, communicate with each other using only their minds, and move in ways that humans were never meant to. But they are frail, and their machines are diminishing. The presence of the Corpse Father only exacerbated what was already a dire situation. A time is coming soon, relative to their lifespans, where there will no longer be enough healthy ACOT left to sustain their machines, and their undying bodies will all fall into the high horror. That is, as we understand it, why they developed the temporal anomaly we classified as SCP-4935-Alpha. They know that they're running out of time, and they know that the corpse father will not only be their own ruination, but also the ruination of the sleeping people inside the hereafter as well. It would, for all intents and purposes, be the damnation of their race. So they've called back through time to see if there is any way their ancestors could help them with this threat. At least, that's what they're telling us.
1: Addendum 4935.4, excerpt from Dr. Tanner's report, SCP-4935-Beta, The Corpse Father.
3: SCP-4935-Beta, The Corpse Father. We've seen an entity like SCP-4935-Beta before. Specifically, the SCP-4812-K entity is a similar Scorpioid entity, though dramatically smaller than SCP-4935-Beta. There are some other major physiological differences as well. Larger exoskeleton plates, a wider barb at the end of its primary tail appendage, etc. Given the similarities though, it's difficult for us to rule out that SCP-4935-Beta might be the same entity at some point in the world's future. The ACOT speak little about SCP-4935-Beta who they call the Corpse Father, except to describe the wedge it drove into their population. It's worth noting here, before beginning, that when the ACOT use the word we hear as corpse, it doesn't mean what we think it means. So far as we can tell, when they say corpse, they're describing the sleepers. Both the ones in the hereafter, and the ACOT on their planet that have lived for so long, they have gone past madness and into a sort of walking catatonia. These beings are alive, but the ACOT don't really view them as functional, and thus call them corpses. SCP-4935-Beta isn't extraterrestrial. On the contrary, the ACOT describe it as having crawled out of the sea some 600 years prior, which seems to have been something that the ACOTs didn't know was possible. The first ACOT, called SCP-4935-Beta, the Annihilator, the Thousand Eyes, and described the head of the entity as having many faces joined together. The explanation I was given is that SCP-4935-Beta consumes creatures, humans, animals, etc., and adds their faces and seemingly their consciousness to its own. This is where the divide emerged. Investigation of SCP-4935-Beta resulted in two distinct camps. The first were the ACOT, who believed that being ingested by the corpse father would be a fate worse even than those who had been torn apart in the wars of long ago. They saw the writhing, screaming faces on the head of SCP-4935-Beta and feared it. The other camp called themselves the corpse children and believed that SCP-4935-Beta was their deliverance. They claimed that SCP-4935-Beta would take their faces, yes, but obliterate their soul, and free them from the shackles of their mortal coil. This conflict was not a small one, and fractured the already tenuous ACOT society. It ended when 25,000 ACOT, roughly 40% of their total population at the time, marched to the sea to meet SCP-4935-Beta. As expected, the corpse father consumed them, But when their faces appeared on the Entity's head, they were in anguish and cried out to their brethren to save them and forgive them. The remaining ACOT tried to kill SCP-4935-Beta and described some frankly boggling advanced weaponry they would use to do so. Nanites that would turn its body to dust, rods of plasma that would drop on it from the sky, nuclear weapons that, today, we would consider impossible, and other, more terrible machinations. When the skies cleared and the dust had settled, the ACOT had exhausted their arsenals, and SCP-4935 was unimpeded. Eventually, it would reach the hereafter and begin trying to chew through it, seemingly to reach the people inside. Beyond being a blasphemy to the ACOT, failing to protect the sleepers within the hereafter would be betraying their most sacred calling, and isn't something that they would even discuss letting happen. With that in mind, the larger picture of the ACOT's desperation becomes clear. They are trapped between the place they call high horror, the winding down of their own machines, the crushing responsibility of caring for the souls in the hereafter, and now, the unkillable corpse father. They were already at the brink before this latest threat, but their situation has become immeasurably grim. This brings us to SCP-4935-alpha. When we first crossed the threshold of their time, in our own, we were told that they created the anomaly to try and get help from the past, which we thought was suspicious at the time. Even now, weakened as they are and so few in number, they could destroy us in the blink of an eye. We're a hundred thousand years removed from their technological achievements. What could we possibly accomplish that they haven't been able to? Then the story changed. We were told that the anomaly was a result of failed weapons testing against SCP-4935, which was more reasonable but still didn't explain why they would have lied in the first place. They never addressed the lie, either. We found out why.
1: Addendum 4935.5 SCP-4935 Near Vicinity Time Dilation Report Control time for all tests is 1200 hours Eastern Standard Time. First test on 1, 30, 2019, indicated a loss of five minutes. Second test on 2, 6, 2019, indicated a loss of seven minutes. Third test on 2, 13, 2019, indicated a loss of 16 minutes. Fourth test on 2, 20, 2019, indicated a loss of 29 minutes. Fifth test on two twenty one twenty nineteen 21 2019 indicated a loss of 64 minutes. Sixth test on two twenty two twenty nineteen 22 2019 indicated a loss of 215 minutes. Note, final data point exceeds allowed variance. Addendum 4935.6, expert from Dr. Dawson's report, SCP-4935-alpha. Report on SCP-4935-Alpha.
3: The ACOT trace their ancestry back to the first humans who attempted to end their grossly prolonged existence, using technology to break the bond between body and soul. They called this machine Garion's Ark, and it sits directly below the hereafter. They credit the development of the machine to Geryon, a sort of legendary mythical figure, who is both demonized and deified in their culture. Geryon was a chief scientist who built the machine that damned them, but they also believe the machine is their salvation, and that Garion's vision was marred by the first Akot and the sleepers, and that's why it hasn't saved them yet. Worth mentioning here is that according to Akot legend, Geryon was only eight years old when he commissioned and had constructed the Ark, which may have had something to do with the disaster that unseated the Akot from this dimension. Either way... They believed that if they can deduce the exact functionality of the machine, as Garyon intended, it'll save them. A few days ago, one of our engineering teams produced some troubling findings. Exploratory teams on the far side of SCP-4935-Alpha were no longer experimenting, a one-to-one forward progression through time they had previously. The most recent team reported spending the allotted 180 minutes on the other side of SCP-4935-Alpha. Whereas our team on our side reported, they were gone for 277 minutes. In other words, the forward progression on the far side of the anomaly appears to be slowing considerably, relative to our own. After putting together our findings, we approached the ACOT about it. They were surprisingly frank about it. SCP-4935-Alpha wasn't the result of them trying to reach us for help, or some sort of weapon test. It was an open valve.
6: Do you have any explanation for our findings?
5: Your findings are correct. In our shame, we have deceived you.
6: Shame? About what?
5: I don't mean to reduce this explanation to making excuses, but all options are justified.
6: I don't understand.
5: Death is a long-lost dream. For the grave diggers and for the sleepers in the graves, all that can be accomplished is an end of suffering. Time expounds our agony. It was decided a short time ago that there is no end to the sorrow of the Corpse father that does not also follow the end of time.
6: Is this why we've seen alterations in our relative experience of the forward progression of linear time?
5: It is Jerion's last gift. We cannot escape agony. We cannot escape torment. We cannot escape the Corpse Father. And we cannot abandon the Sleeper's. Time brings us closer to the moment of our final defeat, and stopping that progression is our last chance. Geryon's arc will interrupt the flow of time, and with it, will pause our suffering forever.
6: On how large a scale?
5: In our youth. We may have dreamed to stop the stars spinning in the sky, but our might has waned. Here, in the cradle of our birth, we will draw the line of the sand. Whatever takes place outside of our collapsed state will mean nothing to us. Perhaps we will remain in that state until the universe grows cold and dark and is snuffed out completely. Perhaps then, we will begin our reprieve.
6: To be clear, this is the same machine that caused your people to become disconnected from the three-dimensional space, correct?
5: It is. We do not fault Garion, no more than we would fault the sun rising or the wind blowing. Garion was nature, a mind conceived by the blessings of the earth. Those who first laid hands on his Ark, and could not conceive his vision, turned the machine against us. It has been many long millennia since then, and we have grown and learned. We have peered into the heart of Geryon's design and seen its majesty.
6: What is the temporal anomaly? hmm? The one that we entered here through?
1: Archivist does not immediately respond. Do you hear me?
5: Yes.
6: Do you have anything to say?
5: There will always be error. In such desperate circumstances, those errors may result in unfortunate casualty. This is no fault of ours. Uh,
6: What kind of error is it?
5: Do not think to speak so freely to me. You and your people cannot even begin to comprehend the full depth of the suffering laid upon my people these many long years. You are fleeting creatures with fleeting existences. You do not understand what it is to feel pain, to experience horror. You know nothing. Do not judge me forefather. Do not judge us for our fear. We have we have known nothing but agony for thousands upon thousands of years, and we have long since abandoned the courage of our youth. We are afraid, and we are cowardly, and we want to die. We want to die more than anything else we could possibly desire, but fate has decided to spare us that solitary mercy. Say so we will take this last kindness away from it.
6: What is the anomaly?
5: We fear that we would have to turn Geryon's Ark upon ourselves. I will admit that this frightened us more than nearly anything. But Garion blessed us with a reprieve. The Ark is not for us, for Father, the Ark is for you. You have not yet been touched by the long, dread finger of a life everlasting. We will collapse your timeline, and you will not have to suffer. You will not be born into suffering.
6: You understand that we will not allow that to happen.
5: You have no choice. We attempted to activate the Ark here, but instead of what we had intended, it opened the way to your time. This is when we knew, Forefather. This was Garyon's gift intended for you. His will cannot be undone. You must receive it.
6: This would mean our destruction. You understand that?
5: No. Not destruction, can't you see? Salvation. Salvation for us both.
1: Addendum 4935.7 Ethics Committee Memorandum Ethics Committee Memorandum SCP-4935 Precedent indicates that Foundation teams and operatives should take every opportunity to avoid hostile actions towards anomalous entities, artifacts, and locations, even when those anomalies are themselves hostile. Due to our belief that these anomalies can do a greater service to humanity through research and understanding than through their destruction, this committee has often found that action which may result in the annihilation of an anomaly is both unnecessary and unacceptable. However, when the hostile actions of an anomaly would threaten to disrupt the actions of the Foundation and the security of the civilian populace, certain necessary measures must be taken. In the case of SCP-4935, in which an anomalous populace has threatened actions against both the Foundation and our world's population, this committee finds it ethically allowable to take actions that may result in the collapse of the primary SCP-4935 anomaly, as well as any damaging effects this may have on the inhabitants of the anomaly. By majority vote, this committee ordains the plan established by Dr. Dawson to mitigate the risk of SCP-4935's hostile actions against our world. Vote I 7. Vote nay, 2. Addendum 4935.8 Management of SCP-4935's Hostile Actions On one 2019 Foundation Engineers under the supervision of Dr. Daphne Dawson, Site-77, established two Scranton-Lang energized Nullifiers at the site of SCP-4935. These nullifiers quickly collapsed the SCP-4935 anomaly. At the same time, several large explosion devices placed within the Geryon's ARC device were detonated, with the intended purpose of disabling the machine used to generate the SCP-4935 anomaly. Shortly before the collapse of the primary anomaly, when the anomaly itself had shrunken by over half, the forms of several ACOT were visible on the other side of the anomaly. Several limbs and other body parts were pushed through the anomaly, as if in a frantic attempt to cross it. However, the anomaly continued to collapse, crushing those attempting to pass through it. Once the anomaly had fully exhausted, no trace of it or the individual stuck in it remained. After several hours, time dilation in the area around SCP-4935 had been reduced to zero. Once a sufficient amount of time had passed, the nullifiers were de-energized, and the anomaly did not reform. By a vote of 9-0, to the Classification Committee approved Dr. Dawson's request that the anomaly remain in the Euclid class until such a time that the anomaly could be confirmed to no longer be a risk for re-emergence.
0: SCP-4935 was written by DJ Cactus. This week's narrator was Nicole Goodnight. Dr. Dawson was Danielle Hewitt. Alexander Guerrero was Jimmy Furrer. Amara Ahmed was Daniel Ellitz of the Good Point Podcast. Felipe Cortez was Atticus Jackson. Sam Orovic was Russell Moore. Skip Gubler was Fletcher Armstrong. ACOT was Pacific S. Projection was Avumo Okoro. TI8 was Sarah Golding. Archivist was Kenneth Shaughnessy. Our script curator is Jesse Hall. And our transcriber is Cheyenne Bramwell. All of our music is composed by the incredible Tom Rory Parsons. And I'm your sound designer and showrunner, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our producer is Tom Owen. If you want to learn more, go to scparchives.com.